Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. But I want to focus in today, I want to focus in on... um, Uh, this last installment of the five shifts of the Reset series that began back here in April of 2020. And uh, here we are recording this in September of 2020. And so it's been a um, fantastic time for us to begin to look at what Jesus is saying to the church in terms of the times, the seasons that we're living in, what God has been speaking to us about. And so I really want to focus in today on this last shift, shift number five. And this shift is one that's been trumpeted around the world for at least the last 10 years. I've been aware of it. Uh, I've been tracking with it. Where We're looking at this uh, fifth and final shift today of moving from attractional to missional. And this is a shift that has been trumpeted around the world for some time now, as uh, we've begun to realize over the last 30 to 40 years, as the Western world church has pretty much been caught up in what has become fashionable, the attractional model where we just do the best that we can and we're, we're revolving and pivoting around totally around Sunday gatherings. And uh, we've tried to make it as attractive as possible. After all, what's the alternative to have ugly services? And uh, and we've looked at just uh, getting people to invite people to a gathering or to a venue and try and pack as many people into that venue as we possibly can. And uh, I really want to talk about this today because I think that it's uh, it's a shift that is very, very difficult for us to disengage from the old and and begin to embrace the new for a number of reasons. But before we go there, I want to just quickly recap on the last uh, four shifts that we've broken down. Some of them we've spent several messages just looking at one individual shift. And the first shift that we looked at was from being distant with God to drawing near and becoming intimate with them. And I talked about a spiritual pathogen that's killing the life of the church around the world. And that pathogen wasn't COVID-19, but it's a 21st century problem that many of us struggle with. And that is with hurry sickness. And, uh, And the world is just in a hurry. Everything is on demand. Everything is now. Uh, We want instant everything. And as a result, we've built our lives around a very, very fast paced society. And that's been doing damage to us, psychological damage, emotional damage. And uh, we don't realize it, but perhaps many of the ills that we're facing right now have come as a result of this hurry sickness that we've been fighting against. So that's the first uh, shift that we talked about. The second shift that we talked about was moving from attenders to becoming disciples. And I guess part of the part of what we're addressing today, the attractional model, part of that has been is that we have been satisfied with just counting someone as a Christian just because they attend our church services. We haven't looked at how we're living our lives. We haven't looked at what part Christ pays uh, plays in our life from uh, Monday through to Saturday. 
and uh, we've very much been looking at that one window of the week, the Sundays. And uh, as a result, we've shifted uh, over the last 30 years to really building a culture of being an attender rather than fulfilling the demands of what it means to be a disciple. And so that was the uh, that was the second shift. And we talked about the remedy for that is becoming a vibrant pursuer of God, pursuing a relationship with Jesus where he said, come and follow me. And that's what it means to be a disciple. And when you do that, you have a desire in your heart to begin to raise up other disciples and make other disciples. So you become a disciple making disciples, exactly what Jesus asked us to do in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Now, the third shift we talked about was from being a hearer to a doer. And, uh, and right around the world again, we have been overloaded with a glut of information. And, you know, the scripture says that knowledge puffs up. And in many ways, we've been let off the hook with having a version of Christianity that doesn't extract or demand action from us. You know, the book of James says that show me your faith by your works. And so we, we see here that in this particular shift that that uh, that the Lord is now saying to the church globally, it's time to be a person of your word. It's time to be an action person. It's time to display your faith by your works. And so obedience is the big key in this shift, um, moving and and looking at following the commands of Jesus over our lives, his lordship over our lives and shifting from being a hearer only, which James says we deceived ourselves, to becoming a doer also. Our last shift that we covered, I did a couple of messages on this, was moving from a copycat lifestyle to becoming innovative. And uh, we talked about in this particular shift, we talked about how God's called us to be an original, not a copy of someone else. And uh, in the fast paced and pragmatic society that we live in, it's very easy for us to be satisfied with just being a copy and grabbing something that seems to be successful and just emulating that and putting it into our lives rather than actually going to the source, going to Jesus. And I quoted uh, Miles Monroe, a very famous preacher who's no longer with us anymore. And Miles Monroe talked about uh, that, that many, where are the greatest treasures right now? Many of them are in the graveyards around the world. The songs that were not sung, the, the books that were not written, the treasures that have been taken into the grave because we, we never innovated. We never caused that creativity that God's placed within each one of us. After all, if the creator lives within us, then all of us have access to creativity. And so we, we talked about that. And I talked about the mode of life that we live in is, is, uh, is to live full and to die empty, to e extract every last ounce of what God's placed within us. What he's given to us on earth is to be spent on earth. We can't take it to heaven. It's worthless in heaven because it was given by God for us to carry out on the earth. And so that's where we're up to. So today we're going to leap in. We're going to jump right in to the fifth and final shift, the final installment. After months and months of focusing in on the prophetic voice of God, here we are. Uh, shift number five from attractional to missional. And on your screen, you'll see this graph of, 
of the missional church versus the attractional church or also known as the consumer church. And if we read what's on screen, we see that under the consumer church, church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs and to have professionals teach their children about God. Whereas the missional church is a body of people sent on a mission who gather in community for worship, community encouragement, teaching from the word, in addition to what they are already self-feeding themselves throughout the week. And so the attractional consumer church has the mantra, I go to church, whereas the missional church understands by nature and by creation of the Spirit of God, I am the church. Wherever I go, I take Jesus with me. I am on a mission. I'm a living, mobile, agile, nimble follower of Christ who is on a mission every day of my life, wherever I am. And so, you know, we see really that the church that Jesus preached about, the church that he's called us to be, doesn't resemble anything of the left-hand side, the consumer church. And so, as, as we look into this, we want to uh, continue forward and understand the missional nature of what that shift is going to mean to shift from attractional to missional, because it's a lot easier said than done. And, you know, many of us who have been in ministry for a long time, uh, we've grown up under that attractional model of church, and it can be a very, very big shift to extract ourselves out of that old wineskin and begin to adopt a, the new wineskin so that the precious new wine of God's Spirit can flow to the world. You know, Jesus is described 44 times in the Gospels as being sent and on a mission. And then he directly passed the ball or the baton to his followers. And he said these words in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He, he was basically saying the church that I'm raising up with the original 12 and those subsequent 120, which became 3,000, 5,000 as the church exploded in the book of Acts. He passed the baton. He says, you church are now my vehicle to the complete the mission of taking my name and the gift of salvation, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. You know, Jesus finished it all. He said, it is finished. He paid the complete price. And now he's placed this treasure of the good news into the hands of his disciples. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love how Christopher Wright puts it. He says this, Jesus did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. And we often think of missionaries as like, God's super servants or Jesus Navy SEALs. And yet the word missionary is not even in the Bible. And yet we understand that uh, every single person who follows Jesus Christ is called to be a missionary, someone who is sent on mission. And this is why we see that there's no special uh, elect or elite group of people called missionaries. We're all called to be missionaries, to bring the gospel across cultures and ethnic divides to begin to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I understand this for my life and have always understood this. You know, when I'm asking the question, what is the will of God for my life? I understand this one thing. 
The will of God for my life is that I'm sent into the world to bring the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, to display it in every way possible, by word, by deed, by action, and share the love of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent. Jesus came into the world. He lived in the world. He lived and dwelt among his people, and he demonstrated the gospel through his life. And this is exactly what we're called to do. So as we're making this shift, perhaps it might help if I can just use the metaphor today of the church being likened to two different types of, sh of ships. And the first type is the cruise ship. And many Christians see the church as a luxury cruise liner offering Christian luxuries for the whole family. You've got the whole package. You can have sport, you can have entertainment, childcare services, you can do your business networking. And so they often will show up at church with the mantra, can this church improve my religious quality of life? Does it have good ministry facilities? Does the pastor preach funny, time-conscious messages that meet my felt needs? Do I like the music? And so, you know, if the church at some point in time ceases to cater to their preferences, well, there are plenty of other cruise ships in the harbor that they will rightly and wrongly, rightly or wrongly tell you that they, are, they have other options available to them. In fact, I've noticed over my time that sometimes this type of Christian or follower of Jesus Christ, they, they're part of several uh, churches or, or ships, cruise ships that cater to each different part of their life. So cruise ship A may be supplying the, the need in their life for fellowship and close friends. They have good friends in that church. They enjoy the fellowship. But cruise ship B has great music and they love the worship there. So they'll also attend services at cruise ship B because cruise ship B has this incredible worship team and great worship leader and it just meets their needs when they when they come to the house of God for worship. But then maybe the preacher's not so hot at cruise ship B and so they know the pastor down the road at cruise ship C has a fantastic teaching ministry. So they'll often find themselves going there as well, just taking bits and pieces, which of course is, a, is an absolute mockery of what it means to live in community with your brothers and sisters, well, absolute mockery of what it means to actually um, be part of a, of a covenant group of people that have linked together heart to heart, spirit to spirit, in order to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. Whereas the second type of ship, which I'd liken uh, more the biblical model to, is that of an aircraft carrier. And I'd like to suggest that this is a fitting metaphor for the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. You know, aircraft carriers are designed to take the battle elsewhere by equipping their planes for the fight, uh, missiles, tomahawks, all those kind, kinds of weaponry that are attached to the fighter jet. And they never want to have the fight at home or anywhere close to where the aircraft carrier is. And this is what we often find with somebody that has a cruise ship mentality. 
was that, you know, if the service isn't good enough on this ship, then they'll grumble, they'll mumble, they'll complain about it. Whereas the aircraft carrier, they want to take the battle to where the action is, away from the ship. There's no murmuring, there's no infighting. They're united as one against the works of darkness, against the works of enemy. And so the aircraft carrier is a much more fitting metaphor for the Church of Jesus Christ. We're equipped Planes for battle are sent on assignment on missions to destroy the works of darkness in the mighty name of Jesus. And I believe that churches that want to prevail against the gates of hell must learn to see themselves as aircraft carriers, not cruise liners, taking what God is doing in our lives from our equipping times, our gathering times, our times of prayer, and being sent by the Spirit of God into our local communities to assault the gates of hell and bring people to Christ. We've got to get past this thing of the church existing solely for us and for our needs, which the attractional model sadly has lent itself towards bringing about, you know, anonymous attenders who are there to see their needs met. And if you don't supply their needs, then they're off to find another a ship that will supply their needs. You know, the problem that we have right now, and it's a huge issue for Christianity, is that we're now living in a way post-Christian era, which simply means this, is that, you know, the world just does not understand the biblical concepts uh, that are taught through the Bible. It's no longer foundational in our society. Where once upon a time the Ten Commandments were taught in schools, there was Bible in schools, there were Sunday schools that families sent their children to, and there was a, a type of God consciousness or awareness uh, of the Christian message and Christianity in general. Well, that world is completely gone. We are a secular-based society, completely secular, particularly referring to our own nation of New Zealand. And so where there's only small portions of the population that are adhered to the Christian message and the gospel of Jesus Christ, or who even understand what the Ten Commandments are, how they were given and who they were given to, most of the world has no idea about this. And so this means that this means that we have a big, big challenge to bridge the gap between where the world is and this amazing, incredible gospel message that has been given to us by Jesus himself. And so, you know, if we look at the census, uh, our last census here in the nation of New Zealand, uh, those that have ticked the box of no religion has now grown to 47, 48 percent. Whereas, you know, New Zealand used to be a nation that was heavily weighted towards the box being, box being ticked of Christianity. That box is reducing. And what we call those who are affiliated to no church or the nuns, they are growing and growing and growing. And so we, we understand today that, that uh, you know, uh, to, to try and continue on with the model of just trying to get people to come along to a really well done church service, uh, you know, we can put on the best music, the greatest preachers, great oratory, you know, fantastic uh, videos that we can show in our buildings. But if the world is not going to be there, then don't let's not kid ourselves. We're preaching to the converted. And it's time that we took the gospel message outside the four walls of a building and begin to disseminate it through a missional methodology 
of being the salt and the light of the world wherever we find ourselves and wherever God has placed us in our workplaces and and the places where we uh, where we do sport and in in the places where we have our hobbies rubbing shoulder to shoulder with those who do not know Jesus Christ so to think that we can just go and put on a great show and this is going to solve the problem of the gospel, this will not work anymore. What it really means is that we must go to the world. The world will not come to us, not at the levels at which we need to see the world saved and see people come to know Jesus Christ. And you know, when you've been in the attractional model for a long time, our main methodology of reaching people is say, invite, invite people to our church service on a Sunday. You know, and I, and I want to give you a personal litmus test uh, this morning. You know, if you get the chance to talk one-on-one -on -one with somebody, what do you end up doing at the end of your conversation if it's turned towards God? Do you, do you say, come to church? I want to invite you to my service. Or do you, as a missional member of the body of Christ would, or someone that's from the aircraft carrier uh, ship, would then begin to share the gospel, the love of God with them, and share the words of Jesus with them, and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's a pretty personal test, that litmus test of whether we just respond the easy way out. Oh, would you like to come to church? I mean, that's great. Great if you can get people to come along to our, our weekend services, but that's not necessarily going to give them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So a new wineskin God is birthing, uh, which is really the original prototype church in the book of Acts. We, you know, we're, we're back to the future. <laughs> the future is going back to the original prototype of Acts chapter 2 and thereafter where God exploded through individual disciples taking the gospel wherever they went. So that wineskin is really, it's, it's, it says this, wherever I am, I am on a mission for God. In the boardroom, at Plunk, at Kindy, at university, this is where uh, I can find myself disseminating the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, every church is founded for the same purpose. We all have the same purpose, and that is to finish the great commission of Jesus Christ. Jesus birthed the church on the promise from the Father, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The ends of the earth is your possession, Psalm 2 verse 8. And if a church is not pursuing the Great Commission, it really does not have the key master point of existing right now in the time of history. God is bringing uh, to life a life of mission to the fore, raising up missional communities of believers around the world who are joining in covenant relationship to see the new birth, to see disciples making disciples. You know, if we look back to the original call of our forefather Abraham. In Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant, verses 1 to 3, let me read it to you. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see here 
Abraham was blessed in order to be a blessing. In fact, more than that, that through his own family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that's what God is saying to the church today. Church, you're blessed. You're blessed today not to consume it upon yourselves, not to live a life of luxury and entertainment, but you are blessed today to take that blessing and to be that blessing and demonstrate that blessing to a world that is aching and hungry and empty to find that life in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. You know, even back in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, we see New Testament theology. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Salah. This is a very well-known benediction that many ministers use at the end of a church gathering. But look what verse 2, right on the heels of this blessing says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. This is God's intent. This is God's purpose to demonstrate his love to a watching and aching world that needs him right now. You know, Paul said it like this. He said, he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. So there was opposition and and the apostle Paul bringing the love of God and the good news to those that needed it. And he says, "I'm, I'm doing it in order that I may reap some harvest among you, His heart was for the harvest fields. His heart was for the Gentiles who did not know Jesus Christ. As well as among the rest of the Gentiles, verse 14, listen to this phrase he uses. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul uses a strange word here to encapsulate the motivation of why he did what he did. And and it has big implications on on us. I am under obligation, Paul says, to everyone who has not yet heard the good news. And every person who knows and understands the gospel is under the same debt of obligation. As David Platt says, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. If you're saved and you know Jesus Christ today, there is an urgency and an obligation that you and I can feel today that's nudging against our spirit to bring the gospel of Jesus to those that do not yet know him or love him. Many translations render this phrase, I'm under obligation as I am a debtor. And Paul is invoking this language. It describes a debtor's relationship to his creditor. You know, when you're severely in in debt, your life no longer really belongs to you. It's measured. Every cent you make is measured. It's siphoned off to repay back your debt. And in the same way, you know, God has gifted us an incredible blessing of this gospel. And now he says, you're under obligation, a brother and sister, to take this gospel and this love. You know, um, I want to finish with a couple of illustrations this morning. In July the 2nd, 1982, a man by the name of Larry Walters decided he was sick of just sitting on his his lawn chair, his patio chair at the back of his section. So along with his girlfriend, he managed to forge a document and he was able to pick up 45 helium weather balloons. 
which have an incredible pulling power. He tied each one of these balloons to his lawn chair, which was tied by ropes to the back of his ute. And armed with a six pack of beer, CB radio, and a BB gun, along with a sandwich, he set off to actually get a different perspective of his neighborhood. He wanted to venture out and see what his neighborhood looked like from 30 feet above uh, the street that he was living in. And as they uh, let go the last of the ropes that was tying his chair down, suddenly he shot up 15,000 feet into the air until he found himself in LAX air traffic lanes and uh, and the first pilot that came across him was flying a 737 and he's looking out of his cockpit window and he says well i see what looks like a perfectly still man sitting in a is it a is it a lawn chair a patio chair i think he's holding a rifle and uh and this was an incredible thing that that was going on and obviously larry was as scared as anything and uh, he was too scared to use the BB gun where his strategy was to shoot one balloon at a time and let it slowly take him back down to the, his backyard section. And so he finally gets the courage up and he shoots a balloon and he slowly begins to descend. And then he dropped the gun and the gun went hurtling back down to the earth. And slowly after a period of time, he comes back down as balloons get tangled in the power lines. Fortunately, he didn't put the power out and the police were waiting there to arrest poor old Larry. But Larry had his moment of fame. And of course, this was on all the news networks of the day. And the journalists began to interview Larry. And they said, Larry, were you scared? And Larry says, yes, I was, except he probably didn't use that language. He used some other language. He said, yeah, I was really, really scared. And they said, Larry, would you do it again? And he said, no, I definitely wouldn't do it again. It was just too much of a scary experience. So at least Larry learned his lesson. And then a journalist asked him, said, Larry, why did you do this? And he just simply said, I just got tired of sitting around all the time. And, you know, church, I felt the echo of that in my spirit. You know, it's time the church got tired of sitting around and let's embrace the spirit of adventure. Let's be the voice of God to our neighborhood. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus to where God has placed us in the workplace, at our schools, universities, at our, at our places of education in our workplace. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's jump out of that lawn chair and let's let's motivate ourselves into action as ones who are under obligation to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to finish with a final challenge by looking at a, a woman, a much loved woman in the book of Acts. Her name was Tabitha. She was also known as Dorcas. Acts 9 verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. They heard that the apostle Peter, he was in the air. And so they called to him for help. And in verse 39, we see this. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. Listen to this. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Wow, this woman invoked an incredible emotional response. 
The Bible says this woman was involved actively in her community. She used the gift of homemaking and sewing and creating garments to give away to people in her community who needed them. And boy, when she died, she was much loved and much missed. Those all around her were weeping in tears. They were in grief. And I really felt as I as I finished this message today, one question I want to ask you, and I'm asking this question myself today, is simply this. When I die, will anyone from the community want to gather at my bedside and weep for the loss that I am to the people that live in my community? Or will they just carry on as per normal, not even noticing the absence of our life no longer walking this planet. And an even bigger challenge that comes out of this is I've asked myself the question today, what would happen if for some strange reason Faith Point Church closed its doors tomorrow and we were no longer in existence? Would the community even notice? Would there be anyone that would notice that we're no longer in operation, we're no longer in action anymore? What a challenging thought there is to that today. I believe if we're a church or a person on mission like Tabitha was, then then our best days are ahead of us right now, that God has called us by His grace to serve our community, to serve our city, to serve the places where God has called us to live and work and to carry out our everyday lives that God right now is raising up and shifting from an attractional wineskin and moving rapidly to a wineskin of community, missional involvement where the church says, wherever I am, whether I'm at home, in my neighborhood, whether I'm at work or on the sports field, whether I'm at university, at school, I am God's man or woman for this generation and I will share the love of God with them. So I want to take a moment for us just to pray right now as we finish this, what I see as a very challenging shift for us all to make. Father, we just come before you today and we ask you to forgive us, Lord, for our nonchalant attitude. Lord, forgive us for our carelessness. Forgive us for our unloving hearts, our uncaring attitudes for the world that you've placed us in. I pray today, Lord, that as we see the, Lord, the mounting pressure that's coming on the church of Jesus Christ, Lord, to be the voice of conviction for our generation, to be the one that stands up in the gap, to be the one that is prepared, Lord, to speak the truth of Jesus' words, Lord, in a generation that doesn't want to hear the words of Jesus Christ. Lord, not just to speak and use our lips, but to use our lives to demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that you would come and that you would move in our hearts today. Please forgive us for our non-activity. Please forgive us, Lord, for sitting around in our lawn chairs, for sitting around, as it were, Lord, inactive and immobile, Lord. Make us an agile, nimble, Lord, church that's ready to pivot no matter what's happening in the world, whether it's a pandemic or whatever it may be, a natural disaster, God, that we would, Lord, be motivated and spurred on to action. For I ask all these things in the precious and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say God bless you, church, today in Jesus' mighty name.